0: Chapter 6 of Olive. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Olive by Dinah Maria Crake. Chapter 6 The return of the husband and father produced a considerable change in the little family at Stirling. A household long composed entirely of women always feels to its very foundations the incursion of one of the nobler sex. From the first morning, when there resounded the multiplied ringing of bells and the creaking of boots on the staircase, the glory of the feminine dynasty was departed. Its easy laissez aller, its lax rule, and its indifference to regular forms were at an end. Mrs. Rothsay could no longer indulge her laziness, no breakfasting in bed and coming down in curl-papers. The long gossiping visits of her thousand and one acquaintances subsided into frigid morning calls, at which the grim phantom of the husband frowned from a corner and suppressed all idle chatter. Sybilla's favorite system of killing time by half-hours in various idle ways, at home and abroad, was terminated at once. She had now to learn how to be a duteous wife, always ready at the beck and call of her husband and attentive to his innumerable wants. She was quite horrified by these at first. The captain actually expected to dine well and punctually every day, without being troubled beforehand with what would he like for dinner. He listened once or twice, patiently, too, to her histories of various small domestic grievances, and then requested politely that she would confine such details to the kitchen in future, at which poor Mrs. Rothsay retired in tears. He liked her to stay at home in the evening, make his tea, and then read to him, or listen while he read to her. This was the more arduous task of the two for dearly as she loved to hear the sound of his voice. Sibylla could never feel interested in the prosy books he read, and often fell half asleep. Then he always stopped suddenly, sometimes looked cross, sometimes sad, and in a few minutes he invariably lighted her candle, with the gentle hint that it was time to retire. But often she woke hours after, and heard him still walking up and down below, or stirring the fire perpetually, as a man does who is obliged to make the fire his sole companion. And then Sibylla's foolish but yet loving heart would feel itself growing sad and heavy. Her husband's image, once painted there in such glittering colors, began to fade. The real Angus was not the Angus of her fancy. Joyful as was his coming home, it had not been quite what she expected. Else why was it that at times, amidst all her gladness, she thought of their olden past with regret, and of their future with doubt, almost fear? But it was something new for Sibylla to think at all— It did her good in spite of herself. While these restless elements of future pain were smoldering in the parents, the little neglected, unsightly blossom, which had sprung up at their feet, lived the same unregarded, monotonous life as heretofore. Olive Rothsay had attained to five years, growing much like a primrose in the field, how none knew or cared, save heaven, and that heaven did both know and care was evident from the daily sweetness that was stealing into this poor wayside flower, so that it would surely one day be discovered through the invisible perfume which it shed. Captain Rothsay kept to his firm resolve of seeing his little daughter in her nursery once a day at least. After a while, the visit of a few minutes lengthened to an hour. He listened with interest to Elspie's delighted eulogiums on her beloved charge which sometimes went so far as to point out the beauty of the child's wan face, with the assurance that Olive, in features at least, was a true Rothsay. But the father always stopped her with a dignified, cold look. We will quit that subject, if you please. Nevertheless, guided by his rigid sense of a parent's duty, he showed all kindness to the child, and his omnipotent way over his wife exacted the same consideration from the hitherto indifferent sibylla It might be also that in her wayward nature the chill which had unconsciously fallen on the heart of the wife caused the mother's heart to awaken. And then the mother would be almost startled to see the response which this new, though scarcely defined, tenderness created in her child. For some months after Captain Rothsay's return the little family lived in the retired old-fashioned dwelling on the hill of Stirling. Their quiet round of uniformity was only broken by the occasional brief absence of the head of the household as he said, on business. Business was a word conveying such distaste, if not horror, to Sibylla's ears that she asked no questions, and her husband volunteered no information. In fact, he rarely was in the habit of doing so, whether interrogated or not. At last, one day when he was sitting after dinner with his wife and child, he always punctiliously commanded that Miss Rothsay might be brought in with the dessert, Angus made the startling remark, "'My dear Sybilla." I wish to consult with you on a subject of some importance." She looked up with a pretty childish surprise. "'Consult with me? Oh, Angus, pray don't tease me with any of your hard business matters. I never could understand them.' "'And I never for a moment imagined you could. In fact you told me so, and therefore I have never troubled you with them, my dear,' was the reply, with just the slightest shade of satire but its bitterness passed away the moment Sibylla jumped up and came to sit down on the hearth at his feet, in an attitude of comical attention. Thereupon he patted her on the head, gently and smilingly, for he was a fond husband still, and she was such a sweet plaything for an idle hour. A plaything! would that all women considered the full meaning of the term—a thing sighed for, snatched, caressed, wearied of, neglected, scorned, and would also that every wife knew that her fate depends less on what her husband makes of her than what she makes herself to him. Now, Angus, begin. I am all attention." He looked one moment doubtfully at Olive, who sat in her little chair at the farther end of the room, quiet, silent, and demure. She had beside her some purple plums, which she did not attempt to eat, but was playing with them, arranging them with green leaves in a thousand graceful ways and smiling to herself when the afternoon sunlight, creeping through the dim window, rested upon them and made their rich color richer still. "'Shall we send Olive away?' said the mother. "'No, let her stay. She is of no importance.' The parents both looked at the child's pale spiritual face, felt the reproach it gave, and sighed. Perhaps both father and mother would have loved her, but for a sense of shame in the latter, and the painful memory of deceit in the former." Sibylla, suddenly resumed Captain Rothsay, what I have to say is merely how soon you can arrange to leave Stirling. Leave Stirling? Yes, I have taken a house. Indeed, and you never told me anything about it, said Sibylla with a vexed look. Now, my little wife, do not be foolish. You never wish to hear about business, and I have taken you at your word. You cannot object to that. But she could, and she had a thousand half-pouting, half-jesting complaints to urge. She put them forth rather incoherently. In fact, she talked for five minutes without giving her husband opportunity for a single word. Yet she loved him dearly, and had in her heart no objection to being saved the trouble of thinking beforehand, only she thought it right to stand up a little for her conjugal prerogative. He listened in perfect silence. When she had done, he merely said, "'Very well, Sibylla, and we will leave Stirling this day month. I have decided to live in England.' "'Old Church is a very convenient town, and I have no doubt you will find Merivale Hall an agreeable residence.' "'Merivale Hall! Are we really going to live in a hall?' cried Sybilla, clapping her hands with childish glee. But immediately her face changed. "'You must be jesting with me, Angus. I don't know much about money, but I know we are not rich enough to keep up a hall.' "'We were not, but we are now, I am happy to say,' answered Captain Rothsay with some triumph. "'Rich! Very rich!' and you never told me?" Sibylla's hands fell on her knee, and it was doubtful which expression was dominant in her countenance—womanly pain or womanly indignation. Angus looked annoyed. "'My dear Sibylla, listen to me quietly—yes, quietly,' he added, seeing how her color came and went, and her lips seemed ready to burst out into petulant reproach. When I left England I was taunted with having run away with an heiress. That I did not do, since you were far poorer than the world thought, and I loved little Sibylla Hyde for herself and not for her fortune. But the taunt stung me, and when I left you I resolved never to return until I could return a rich man on my own account. I am such now. Are you not glad, Sibylla?" "'Glad! Glad to have been kept in the dark like a baby—a fool! It was not proper treatment towards your wife, Angus,' was the petulant answer as Sybilla drew herself from his arm, which came as a mute peacemaker to encircle her waist. "'Now you are a child, indeed. I did it from love—believe me or not, it was so—that you might not be pained with the knowledge of my struggles, toils, and cares. And was not the reward, the wealth, all for you?' "'No, it wasn't.' "'Pray, hear reason, Sybilla,' her husband continued, in those quiet, unconcerned tones which to a woman of quick feelings and equally quick resentments were sure to add fuel to the fire. "'I will not hear reason, when you have these four years been rolling in wealth and your wife and child were—oh, Angus!' and she began to weep. Captain Rothsay tried at first, by explanations and by soothings, to stop the small torrent of fretful tears and half-broken accusations. All his words were misconstrued or misapplied. Sibylla would not believe but that he had slighted, ill-used, deceived her. At the term the husband rose up sternly. "'Mrs. Rothsay, who was it that deceived me?' He pointed to the child, and the glance of both rested on little Olive. She sat, her graceful playthings fallen from her hands, her large soft eyes dilated with such a terrified wonder that both father and mother shrank before them. That fixed gaze of the unconscious child seemed like the reproachful look of some angel of innocence sent from a purer world. There was a dead silence. In the midst of it the little one crept from her corner and stood between her parents, her little hands stretched out and her eyes full of tears. "'Olive has done nothing wrong. Papa and Mamma. you are not angry with poor little Olive.' For the first time, as she looked into the poor child's face, there flashed across the mother's memory the likeness of the angel in her dreams. She pressed the thought back, almost angrily, but it came again. Then Sibylla stooped down, and for the only time since her babyhood Olive found herself lifted to her mother's embrace. "'The child had better go away to bed,' said Captain Rothsay. Olive was carried out nestling closely in her mother's arms. When Sybilla came back the angry pout had passed away, though a grave troubled shadow still remained. She made tea for her husband, tried to talk on common topics once or twice, but he gave little encouragement. Before retiring to rest she said to him timidly, "'There is no quarrel between us, Angus?' "'Not in the least, my dear,' he answered, with that composed deprecation of any offence, given or received, which is the most painful check to an impulsive nature. Only, we will not discuss matters of business together again. Women never can talk things over quietly. Good night, Sibylla.' He lifted his head a little, a very little, for her accustomed kiss. She gave it, but with it there came a sigh. He scarcely noticed either one or the other, being apparently deep in a large folio, commentary on the Proverbs, for it was Sunday evening. He lingered for a whole hour over the last chapter, and chiefly the passages. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil, she openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. At this Captain Rothsay closed the book, laid his arms upon it, and sighed, Oh, how heavily! He did not go to bed that night until his young wife had lain awake for hours, regretting and resolving. Nor until, after many determinations of future penitence and love, she had at last wept herself to sleep for very sorrow. End of chapter 6